Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Thank you guys so much. Well, it is good to be back with you all, restart or continue in our relationship series. Let me ask you guys a question. Have anybody here heard of Bitcoin? Oh, everybody here? Anybody not heard of Bitcoin? All right, how, mu- how, how much is one Bitcoin worth? What is that? A little bit of a coin, yeah. It's worth quite a bit. And what's regarding Bitcoin, I came across a pretty interesting story. And that is in 2013, a man from the United Kingdom was clearing out his home and threw a hard drive into the trash, 2013. Well, he realized after doing so, he had two hard drives. One was a blank one. The other one had around 7,500 Bitcoin on it. And that is the one he threw out. That would be worth, even today, and I know Bitcoin has lost quite a bit of value in the last you know, a few months or so, but even with that, today, that, those 7,500 Bitcoin would be worth $172 million, $172 million that he threw away into the trash. So he is trying his heart. He, he thinks he knows what dump it would have been put in, and he has been the last, like, nine years trying to convince the city council to actually search, and he is, like, doing you know, he, he's putting together this like $11 million with a, a venture capitalist firm, like $11 million project to try to, to find this hard drive. But he's, you know, having a hard time getting approval. But what if you were this guy and you knew which dump to look in, how, and you were granted access to look, would you spend the time and effort to find this hard drive? Would you be willing to look through nine years of garbage in order to find this? And if you were to start, maybe say, oh, I'll give, how long would you, would you look for? At, one po- at what point would you call it quits? Yeah, so, you know, and then probably the further you get into it, you're like, I've already invested so much, maybe just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And then 40 years later, you finally find it, and then Bitcoin's worth nothing and it was all for, you know, it was all for not, right? You know, pretty, pretty interesting story. And it's a real bummer to be that guy. I will say that. I'm glad I'm not that guy. But as interesting as this is, and interesting to think about, there is something in the world that is worth even more than 7,500 Bitcoin. It's worth even more than any monetary value that you could put on anything in the world. And what do you think that is? What do you think that is? What do you think I'm going to say? If you don't know what I'm going to say, here, I'll say it. An excellent spouse. An excellent spouse is worth more than 7,500 Bitcoin or any valuable thing in the world. And that's very countercultural to say. I was looking up... uh, Trying to figure out, I try to figure out you Gen Zers, so I will look up online, usually before I'm preaching, like, you know, what can I learn about Gen Zers? 
And sometimes I get it right, obviously. Sometimes I don't, which we saw last week. But uh, supposedly among a lot of Gen Zers, they don't really even really care about finding their quote-unquote soulmates. They value career, money, more, other things. And that's unfortunate because Scripture is clear that an excellent spouse is really worth that much. In fact, the first passage we'll look at tonight is in Proverbs 31, chapter 10. And this will not be the first time we're in this chapter during this series. But Proverbs 31, 10, it says it right here. It says, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. And I know it's mentioning a wife here, but this could even be said of, of an excellent husband as well, that their value is, is, is worth more than jewels. And we'll explain why, but let me first define, okay, what is an excellent wife or an excellent spouse? All right, that's probably maybe what you're wondering. Well, we, we, we're, we should answer that. And so let's answer that. Well, the rest of the chapter explains and describes the characteristics of this excellent wife, but I'll just give you a quick summary. And that is this, an excellent wife is trustworthy, kind, compassionate, hardworking, wise, and faithful to God. And we could probably maybe find a few more things, but if you were to read through the rest of that chapter, that is what you will find. And really, even we think about it, these same, these same qualities could also be attributed to an excellent husband as well. They could be applied to a husband as well. And, and the reason such a spouse is so valuable, is worth far above jewels, is because such a spouse can bring a level of honor and blessing to their family that no amount of money could ever bring. And this is what scripture says. So, since an excellent spouse is worth so much, then probably one of the most important questions or topics that we could talk about in this series on relationships is the topic of finding an excellent spouse. After all, the, the verse asks, who can find? Who can find such a person? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, how to find an excellent spouse. And maybe to start this off, Let's talk about where spouses are typically found. Where are spouses typically found? I was looking at a 2019 Pew Research study on relationships, and they asked adults in different age groups about the ways they met their partners or spouses. And the following, the list that I'm going to give you, are the ways that adults 18 through 29 met their partners or spouses. And this list is going to go from the largest category to the smallest, but they didn't have one for under 18. So this is the closest to you all. And very soon you'll be in this age category. And so here, but before I give you the list, can any of you guess what the biggest category is? Okay. So I'm hearing online. I heard of the bar. Okay. Okay. What else? Church. Okay. Military, definitely not the military. I, no, <laughs> I'm not just, I mean, I was in the military, so I was just teasing. No, there are a lot of, you know, being in the military, there were a lot of relationships that started in the military. That is true. School, I'm hearing school. High school sweethearts. Work. 
College. Okay, none of you have gotten it right. None of you have gotten it right, believe it or not. Here's the top, here's the top category. Top category right here. Friends and family. Friends and family. 31%. 31% said friends or family is the way in which they met their spouse or partner. All right, number two, number two, and by partner, just let me just clarify, just because we're at, I'm not talking about a partner. I'm talking about like a boyfriend, girlfriend in a serious relationship, okay? So just let me clarify that for the sake of clarity. All right, number two, school. School, I did hear that. That's 20, 25% said school, 18 to 19, or 18 to 29 year olds. Number three was online. And that was at 21%. Number four was work. And that was at 13%. Number five was places of worship at 4%. And mind you, this is a broad group of, of adults across America. So if, if these were just Christians, this category of, of place of worship would be higher or at least should be higher. So, okay, this is just broad adults. But yet 4% place of worship. The next after that was bar or restaurant at 2%. And then somewhere else was 4%. They just kind of include that as a, as a final catch-all category. And that would, of course, include the gym, things like that. Um, so if only 4% for somewhere else. And these numbers are interesting, right? And, and you look at these, these numbers, and the reason they're interesting is because they can help you maybe set your expectations more accurately. So it's made, for example, it's probably helpful to know that even to this day, even in 20, you know, 2022, this study was from 2019, it is still, you are still more likely to meet a spouse or, or find a long-term relationship through in-person contacts rather than online. If you, if you, I mean, Online is not even the top category. And then if you combine all the other categories, it's still a much higher chance you'll meet somebody through face-to-face -face contact or, or a personal connection. So that is interesting to know. However, I will say this, that knowing the ways people are more likely to find a spouse doesn't tell you how to find a spouse, right? For example... Knowing that you're more likely to find a future spouse through school, friends, or work does not tell you how to attract a future spouse or how to approach a future spouse, build a relationship with a future spouse, or even more importantly, convince your future spouse to even marry you. <laughs> right? So, so knowing where to find a spouse doesn't tell you how to find your spouse. Like think of, for example, deer hunting, right? Any, any hunters in here at all? Okay, we have a few hunters. Imagine you're just starting out. You want to learn how to deer hunt. And so you go ask some guy that looks like he knows his, he knows his way around hunting. And you say, hey, man, can you help me, help me learn how to hunt deer? And they say, no, but I can tell you where to find deer. It's out in the woods out there. You know, they're, they're out there. So uh, good luck. Right? So that wouldn't be very helpful, right? That would not be very helpful. Maybe you could figure it out. You know, you're going to spend a lot of time in the woods and a lot of frustration. 
But you get the point, right? We need, we need to know how to find, and we could even say, no pun intended, but capture a future spouse, okay? We need to learn how. You need help. And all of us have needed help at some point. And as you're looking, if you were to, let's say, go to Google, trusty Google, right? Quote, unquote, trusty Google. And you were to research, how do you find and capture your future spouse or your forever person? You will find yourself going down a rabbit hole of countless blogs and articles and surveys with all these five-step, eight-step strategies, how to do this. Um, you're going to find all sorts of stuff. And we already talked a little bit about the unre unreliability of some sources for relationship advice the first week. But let's just say you go down that rabbit hole, you're probably going to end up more confused than when you started. Okay, That's probably safe to say. Now, if you were to say, oh, well, I remember Brother Matthew said that the Bible is the only true and trustworthy source of relationship so advice. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to look at every example of the beginning of a relationship and I'm going to follow that. Oh, really? Are you? <laughs> do you know some of the examples? Let's go through a few of them. Let's go few, few, through them. Okay. So we got Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca. How did Isaac meet and marry Rebecca? Well, this is how his father, Abraham, sent a servant to go to his ancestral home in a country at some distance and said, go, we need to find a wife for my son. So go and find it. The servant took like 10 camels with him. He went to this city where Abraham's family was from. And then he thought, you know what? I know that all of the, the young women of the city, they come out to the well at this time to draw water. Where do all the girls today gather like that? If it's not at a well, where do they, where's that? Wait, I'm hearing all this stuff. Where? Starbucks is one. What? The bathroom? Okay. So I guess the bathroom is the equivalent of the, uh, of the city well back in ancient times. Okay. I don't know. Wherever the girls gather. Well, here at this time, it was the well. And so the servant said to himself, and he prayed to God, he said, you know, I know I'm going to find the right woman for, for Isaac. I'm going to, as these girls come out, I'm going to ask for a drink of water. And the girl who offers to water my camels, she is the one. She is the one. And sure enough, Rebecca offered to water his camels. And so she was the one. She was chosen. So there's that example, if you want to follow that. Another example, now we go to Isaac and Rebecca's son, Jacob, and how he met and married Rachel. Talking about Rachel. Well, what he did is he ended up going to work for Rachel's father, and he made a deal. He said, he made a deal with the father. I don't think Rachel was even part of this, but he just made a deal with the father. He said, I want to marry your daughter. And he said, okay, you need to work for me for seven years and then I'll let you marry my daughter. And so he worked for seven long years. Gets to the wedding. Back then they did things a little bit differently in the wedding and the wedding night. And uh, long story short, the father, Laban, had tricked Jacob and tricked him into marrying her older sister, Leah. And he didn't find out until after, until the next day. And so... Now he's, he's stuck with the sister he didn't want to marry. He still wants Rachel. 
So he goes back to her father, complains a little bit, and says, I still want to marry Rachel. And then he says, okay, work for me for another seven years, and I'll let you marry Rachel. And sure enough, he worked another seven years, and then finally married Rachel. So 14 years of, of hard labor to get, to get the woman. All right, so that's that example. All right, here's another one, even, even more, maybe the opposite, or opposite of having the parents find the spouse. This one, the, the child sends the parents to find the spouse. And this is Samson and his first wife, who we don't even have the name for. It's just called a, she's called a woman from Timnah. And this is so interesting. I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you from this. This is in Judges 14, verses 1 to 3. So if you were to follow the strategy, I guess here's another example. It says in verse 1, Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. She looks good to me. <laughs> this, is, this is Samson, right? So this, I mean, this isn't a good example. Samson was not, even though he did have genuine faith, he was definitely not a model to be followed in his life. But let's go to a better, I mean, maybe better, I would say arguably better example, Ruth and Boaz. They are very righteous people, right? And well, what we have there is essentially Ruth essentially proposed to Boaz. So it's not the woman proposing, not the man. And she did it by going to where he slept at night and uncovering his feet while he, while he slept. And that's how, that's how she signaled that she, wanted, that she wanted to marry him. So as we see these examples, as we go through these examples, and let me just clarify, I will say, that I do think the secret to finding your future spouse and an excellent spouse is in the Bible. It really is. But as we see, it's not so easy to find. You can't just go to the biblical narrative and see these examples and just follow that lockstep. And the reason is because many of these events, many of the events that are recorded, they're examples of sinful people doing sinful and stupid things and we're not supposed to follow their example. Or in other occasions, it may not be sinful, it may even be good and righteous what's happening, but the, the, all the things that do happen, they happen in the way they do because of the unique circumstances or, or situations at that time. And they're not meant to be repeated for all time by all peoples. So we can't just go to the narrative and look for examples. We're going to have to dig a little bit deeper in order to find the answer from Scripture, which Scripture does provide. So what I'm going to do is I'm going, I'm going to throw you guys a bone. I'm just going to help you out. I'm just going to give you the secret. Just simple. Just, we'll just keep it really simple. Don't have to go through a lot. And this secret, it can be broken down into two parts, if you're taking notes, two parts. Two-part secret to finding an excellent spouse. And for some of you learning about this, this will be a, it would be like a huge weight is lifted off your shoulders. 
And for some of you, it may even completely remove relationship anxiety. I don't know, maybe, maybe it will. But all right, you're taking notes. You guys are ready? All right, part one. Part one of the secret is this. The first part of the secret to finding and capturing your future spouse, especially an excellent spouse, is this. You can't. You can't. You can't find an excellent spouse. Now, before you're discouraged, before you get get discouraged, let me give you the second part to the secret. Here's the second part. The second part of the secret is this. God is the one who gives you your spouse. So you can't in your own power, but God can. And let me show you this. So we're going to be in Proverbs for, for a little bit. Proverbs 18, verse 22. Now I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you the truth of this. So Proverbs 18, verse 22 It reads, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so here, finding a wife is tied to obtaining favor from God. And if that's not clear, go to Proverbs 19, verse 14. And it says this, house and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. A prudent wife, an excellent wife, is from the Lord. And then go over to chapter 21, Proverbs 21, verse 1. And this verse says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now, if you apply this verse to relationships, what this verse indicates is that God controls the emotions and the affections of people, including the king. And so what this means is that God can literally make somebody fall in love with you if he so chooses. God literally has that power. And if you might remember, I think in the anxiety series, I I gave that whole example of I had no idea why Carissa would ever want to marry me with all the things that I did not have going for me. Well, this is the answer. Ultimately, God God can just turn the heart. He can turn the heart of somebody and fixate that person's heart on you. And no matter how dumb and stupid you may be, the person will still love you. God has the power to do that. All right, and then final verse is going to be in Matthew, Matthew 19. And this really solidifies the point. But Matthew 19, we'll read from verses 4 to 6. And here Jesus is, is answering a question regarding divorce. The Pharisees were trying to justify divorcing somebody for any reason. And in response, Jesus says this in verse 4. He says, And he answered them and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, God brought Eve to Adam, right? But, but here the command, let no man separate, this is in the present tense. And what, what that means, 
is is that this command is is given like for an all time like it's it's in the it's supposed to be a general command that applies at all times so when he says let no man separate what god has brought together that means that 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 truth applies for at that moment back to adam and eve and even to this day and it indicates that god is the one who joins together a husband and a wife therefore don't separate what god has joined together so all these verses taken together, and there are probably others that would support this, this point that I'm trying to make, but all of them together clearly communicate that God is the one who ultimately brings together a relationship. He is the one. And he can do this through direct intervention. He can literally turn the heart of somebody towards another person. Or he can also do this through fancy way we could say it is providential, providential ordering of events, meaning like a, a puppet master, he is organizing all these different things that are happening to lead to a certain outcome. That's what we mean by the providence of God. He's setting things in motion. He's putting things along the road, so to speak, to direct people where he wants them to go. So direct intervention, providence, and really most likely through a combination of both is how the Lord brings relationships together through direct intervention, and his providential ordering of the world and of the events of the world. So God brings a relationship together. And now what we need to really talk about is, okay, if God is the one ultimately in control of bringing together a marriage, then what are you supposed to do with that information? How does this truth apply to you all as you are seeking or when you do seek to enter a relationship and hopefully find an excellent spouse? And this is a fair question because this truth may lead someone to say, well, oh, well, if God is in control, then why even try? I'm just gonna throw my hands up and let go and let God or whatever, whatever they say, right? You know, God will figure it out. Or some people might say, oh, God's in control. Okay, so then I can enter any relationship I want, no matter how many red flags there might be. And if God doesn't want me in that relationship, he'll just end it. He'll, he'll stop it. So I don't need to worry. I'll just, I'll just, you know, just jump into whatever, try whatever, and God will figure it out, right? That's, that, no, no, that's not right. That's not right. And here's the thing you have to understand. Although God is the one who gives you a spouse, who you are as a person and who you seek as a spouse will be a factor in God's decision. Who you are as a person and who you are seeking as a spouse will be a factor in God's decision. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about who you are as a person and think about this for a moment. A few weeks ago, we talked about how a spouse can influence their spouse, either good or bad. And tonight, we briefly mentioned how an excellent spouse can bless you and your family beyond measure, beyond anything that money could buy. Well, think about this. If you are a faithless and immoral person, can you expect God to bless you by giving you a godly and excellent spouse? Or on the flip side, if you are a faithless and immoral person, 
can you expect God to curse a godly person by giving you to them? Is God going to do that to them if you are an immoral and faithless person? And of course, the answer should be no. There should be no expectation that God would do such a thing. But I will say this. If you are a faithful person who loves God and seeks his kingdom first, then as we've talked about before, you know that God will work all things out for your good. And that applies to a potential marriage as well. So this means that if you are truly seeking God in his kingdom, then you can have genuine hope that God will provide you with an excellent spouse. This doesn't mean that he's obligated to do it. There are some people, and we'll talk about singleness at another time, but, but it doesn't mean God is obligated to, to provide you with the spouse. But if he does choose to provide you with the spouse, then if you are faithful and godly, you can have genuine hope that if he provides you with the spouse, it will be an excellent spouse who blesses your life and your future family. So this is what I mean by who you are as a person will influence the decision that God makes. All right, second part of it, the spouse or the person you are seeking as an influence of God's decision. What do I mean by this? Well, it is true that God is sovereign, meaning that he has absolute control over everything and over every outcome. However, God also hears the requests of people and knows their desires. He hears their prayers. He knows the desires of their hearts. And that is for all people everywhere. And scripture is clear that God can and does choose to give people what they ask for and what they seek. We read the passage that Brother Bema led us through. Well, let me show you uh, a few other passages that really emphasize this point. And, and these will cover specifically people that make a request or pray, pray to God with the right motives. And the first pl place we'll look is Psalm 37, verse 4. Psalm 37, verse 4. And here it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So it's conditional there. It's not just he will give you the desires of your heart for any reason. The condition is that you're delighting yourself in the Lord and in the will of the Lord. You're trying to follow the Lord. You're trying to obey the Lord. And if you do that, then the truth that is said here is that he will give you the desires of your heart. And then to show the contrast of this, if you're not asking in the right motives or praying in the right motives, God will not, is not obligated to give you the desires of your heart. Look at James chapter four. James chapter four, and we'll read verses two to three. And James says this, he says, you lust and you do not have so you commit murder. And remember, according to the teachings of Jesus, even having hatred in your heart towards somebody, even cursing at somebody, is the same in the heart as murder. And so James says, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And as James is saying here, for such people, God is not obligated to give you anything that you ask if you're asking or seeking with the wrong motives. However, and here's a big caution warning sign. What people don't realize is that God can actually choose to give a sinful, evil person the desires of their heart. He can and he does, but he does so as a form of punishment. And to show you this, we're going to go through one more passage. Well, let me actually, for the sake of time, let me just summarize it for you. Okay, so in Numbers 11, there's a lot of stuff going on, but there's a point where the people of Israel, they start to complain. They start to complain uh, over the food that they're eating. And they bring up, you know, oh, when we were in Egypt, we enjoyed all this great food, and now we're in the desert, and we're just sick and tired of this manna that God is giving us, this bread from heaven. It's just, you know, and they completely forget the fact that they were crying about being in Egypt because they were in slavery. And that's why God rescued them. But now they're complaining because they don't have all this food and the food options that they used to have. And so God becomes very angry with them. And, you know, they say, well, we want meat. You know, we want meat like we had back in Egypt. And so he, he gets to the point where he says, okay, okay, people, you want meat. You don't like my manna. It's not good enough for you. I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to give you meat. And he says, I'm not going to give you meat for one day. I'm not going to give you meat for two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days. I'm going to give you meat every day for a whole month, nothing but meat. And you're going to have so much meat that it's going to be coming out of your nostrils. You're going to be sick of it. It's going to cause you to throw up. That is what the Lord says in Numbers 11. And the point is, is okay, you want this? What I'm providing or am offering to provide is not good enough. I'll give you what you want. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful. And this isn't the only time this happens. Also in Israel's history, they ask for a king like all the other nations. So God says, okay, you don't want me to be your king. You want a king like all the other nations. I'll give you a king. And, they give, and he gives them King Saul, who is a faithless and wicked king. And all these other kings that abused the people, led them astray, led them into sin. The point being that for wicked and evil people, God may just choose to give them the desires of their heart as punishment. So what does that mean then for relationships, the topic of relationships? Well, we can say this. If you are faithful and godly, if you're a faithful or godly guy or girl, and if you are seeking to marry a godly spouse, then you can have hope that God will provide you with a godly spouse. We talked about that. However, if you are a faithless, if you are a faithless and immoral guy or girl, And if you are seeking the wrong kind of person, then God may just give you that type of person as a punishment upon your life. So guys, I'll talk to you for a minute. And I'm a guy, so I know the temptations that guy face. If you are thinking when it comes to relationships that I'm just going to pursue the most attractive girl who will fulfill my desires and just just give me the, the most attractive if that's what you're seeking and pursuing and that's all that matters, she may have n- not an ounce of godliness in her. 
but you don't care because she's attractive and so forth. Well, God may give you that person, but it will lead to misery. It will lead to misery. And for the girls, right? You guys aren't exempt from this. Girls can look for the wrong thing as well. And if you're thinking, well, I don't care about a godly guy. I just want the coolest guy, the most popular guy, the guy with the most swag, whatever you guys say, you know, and, and you're, not thinking about, you're not thinking about how godly he may be. You're looking for the guy, wears all the right clothes, says all the right things. He's just cool. He's just a cool guy. Okay, you may find him. You may find him just like the other five or ten girls he's talking to. <laughs> right? 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 I know. Speaking, speaking, what do you guys say? Speaking facts? Is that it? Right? Speaking facts? Right? No, no cap? No cap right there? Okay. <laughs> All right. So be careful. Be careful of who you're seeking and who you are. All right, so what's the takeaway? We're coming to our conclusion for tonight. What's the big takeaway? Well, here's the big takeaway. If you desire to find an excellent spouse at some point in your life, then you will only find such a spouse if God chooses to give you one. However, who you are as a person and who you are seeking will have an influence on God's decision. That's the big takeaway for tonight. And so I want to end by asking the question, okay, with this in mind, with this big takeaway in mind, where do we go from then from here? Where do we, where do we go next in this relationship series? Well, I would argue that the truth we have covered tonight is so important in the pursuit of relationships that you really need to solidify and figure out who you need to be as a person and who you need to seek as a future spouse. You really need to get this down. This is, the mo I would argue, the most important thing that you will learn concerning relationships. Who you need to be and who you need to seek. So here's what we're going to do. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to spend eight weeks, we are going to talk about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. What does a godly man or woman look like? And we'll spend four weeks on both guys and girls, but there will be a lot of overlap as well. So um, it's going to be great. Eight weeks in this, and hopefully by the end of it, you will know the person you should be seeking. And then we may talk about the person you should not be seeking, but we're going to spend eight weeks in this. And, and I think it will bless you. But until then, until then, until next week, here is a challenge for you tonight or for this week. Here's the challenge. As you go home and you continue on, look within yourselves and examine yourselves and ask yourselves the question, what are my motivations when it comes to pursuing a relationship or really anything in life? But what are your motivations? Are you seeking and wanting what God wants? Or are you seeking and wanting what you want and what makes you feel good? That really is the question. And I would say that if you want what God wants, or you are even curious to learn about what God wants, then I trust that these next eight weeks will be a blessing, a huge blessing to you.
All right, let's pray and then we'll discuss our scavenger hunt. Uh, Lord God, uh, we are so grateful for you and your word and the wisdom that can be found within your word, Lord. I just pray for all these students as they are now into this next school year that you would just bless them, bless their studies, bless their friendships, bless their activities, Lord. May it be a, a, a profitable uh, year for them, Lord. I pray for all the adults that are here as well that you would that this next school year would be an encouragement to them as well. And I pray for us as we continue in this relationship series, Lord, that, that by the time we come to the end, we will be very prepared to pursue relationships in a godly way that will honor you and glorify you. Lord, we're so thankful that you are our God and that you have made yourself known to us. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.